This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to the last No Nay Never podcast of the 2017-2018 season. And what a season it's been. Burnley will be in Europe next year for the first time since the 1960s. Absolutely fantastic season all round, I think. Something that many of us would not have expected at the beginning of the season. I think even the most optimistic of fans wouldn't have been expecting a Europa berth uh, come May. Obviously, we've seen a couple of people who have been instrumental in the last couple of years that the club move on in Dean Marnie and Scarfield. So there's going to be a lot of change, I think, over the summer. But before we get to that... Let's talk over the last game of the season with Natalie, who's joining me as always. It was Bournemouth who came to the turf and it felt very much like an end of season affair. I think it's fair to say, Natalie, don't you? Very much so. I think we had a, maybe a 10-minute spell at the beginning, didn't we, where I thought, oh, actually, this might be quite an entertaining game. And then, no, it did have a... It had a pre-season friendly feel to it. And do you know what? That's perfectly understandable. You've got players who are heading out to World Cups. You have got players who potentially are leaving their clubs and going elsewhere. And neither neither set of players wants to, to do themselves an injury that will hamper their pre-season training, do they? They just want to just get the game over and done with whilst being respectful to the competition. But it, it wasn't even that our game had nothing to, to uh, well, nothing ride on it. But I think probably the only thing that had an influence was maybe if Bournemouth won, they went up a place and got a couple of more million quid in the bank. So it was all right. I mean, it, it wasn't painful to watch. It wasn't boring in any way. It was, you know, I, I, I'll watch any football, to be honest. So just being able to sit in the sunshine at Turf Moor and watch a game of football with my beloved Clarets is always good, even if it didn't have a particularly competitive edge to it. But it was all right. It was all right. Yeah, it's uh, one where I think... To be honest, on the balance of the game, we, we were maybe the, the better side, conceding obviously two poor goals. And the second one in particular left me feeling pretty sorry for, for Kevin Long. I don't think he deserves to slip like that and, and cost us the game. Kind of does reflect uh, last year's Bournemouth game, I think, though, as well, where we maybe weren't at our best players thinking about the end of the season. So there's been a trend over the, the last couple of games, but we'll, we'll let them off. I think they only trained for about two hours total this week. So it, it was maybe expected that they wouldn't be playing the best football of the season. We'll go on to, the, I think, the big talking point of the game for me anyway. Afterwards, obviously, the players did their customary tour of the pitch and it was the last time we'll see Scott Arfield and Dean Marnie on, on the turf. Before the game, it was announced they weren't going to be in the side. I think quite a few people on Twitter were, were thinking it was disrespectful that they weren't picked until the club obviously tweeted the clarification that the players have been asked if they want to be involved and, and they both said no, they didn't want to talk in appearance. So Natalie, what did you think of both of them not being in the in the squad for the last time they'd be Burnley oh, players? Yeah, I have absolutely no problems with that whatsoever. Look, you've got you've got to You've got to balance these things. And, and Deitch was very clear that he spoke to both players and he consulted them and he um, asked them whether or not they wanted to be a part of the playing staff on the day. But what's the point? You know, both of them are trying to secure moves for the next chapter in their careers. Scott is already signed for Rangers now and we believe, I think, that Demon is going to Forest, did I hear? So neither one of them wants to, to run out just to say goodbye to Burnley fans. Yeah, then they suddenly slip on the grass or get tackled needlessly and end up in and and then that scuppers their their chances and they end up without a club. That's just absolute madness, especially given that the club could mark their departure by letting them have a lap of honour around the ground and, and say goodbye to the fans. So, yeah, I know some people were, were, were really upset that they didn't get a 
play, but but does it really matter? Let's be realistic here. They were only ever going to come on for the last 10, 15 minutes or so, and what meaningful impact would they have made to that game when nothing rode on it anyway? Um, you're much better getting them to to lead the, the team out. I think at the end of, at the end of the um, the game in the um, lap of honour and say goodbye that way. So it's absolutely fine. It's just. Oh, James, it's just so heartbreaking. <laughs> I don't think it actually hit me properly that the pair of them were moving on until they were saying that the commentator was saying, sorry, the announcer was saying after the, the game, oh, for leading the teams out for the last time. I was like, oh, oh my God, <laughs> Dino and Scotty have left us. Um, it is, it, it's, oh, do you know what? I, I'm going to say this and I'm, I know I'm leaving myself up for maybe a little bit of criticism here. But I I always have this fear of a change of fear of change in the club. Now, let me explain that, listeners, because what's happening to the modern Burnley is amazing, and I am delighted with the progress that we've made, and I want to see us push on and establish ourselves as a Premier League club and playing Europa League and things like that. But I always get really sad and a bit nervous when players like Dean Marnie and Scotty leave the club because they've been so instrumental in what we've achieved. And they are proper Burnley players who know the fans, know the club and who we know and trust. It leaves spaces open for players coming in. And I always worry that we're going to get like bigger stars in there and will they have the same connection with the fans and is the club going too fast too quickly and and will we be able to maintain that community club feel that we all know and love I'm pretty sure listeners that I'm being just paranoid for no reason here but I'm not I'm quite a routine freak in my life and I don't like change I'm one of those people that gets very upset when they move something in the supermarket so I, yeah I always have that that element of, of fear when you lose a key player like that but you know it's happened before Danny Ings and Kieran Trippier moved on Jay moved on and they've all you know the clubs just replace those with players who are still part of the the ethos of the club and still understand us so I'm sure they'll, they'll, both of them will be replaced by players who still get us but yeah it was a, it was an emotional moment I won't lie. Yeah, I was sat near uh, Scott Arfield during the game and at one point when all the fans started singing singing his name, you could see he was maybe feeling the emotion a little bit. Um, obviously, he's been at Burnley five years now and uh, probably the most successful period of his career and you know potentially the most successful period he'll ever have in his career, at least in English football. We're now obviously moving up to Scotland again. So it's you know an interesting one to to see how he'll do at Rangers. Hopefully it goes better for him than it did for for Joey. He was obviously the last Burnley player to to head to Rangers after a spell at Burnley. And Dean, hopefully wherever he lands, it, like you say, he has been pictured with Karanka of uh, Forest uh, in the previous weeks. But wherever he lands, hopefully he's successful too. Uh, and I'm sure they'll, they'll be missed at Burnley. But you know, all good things must come to an end. It reminds me actually quite a bit of when, when Wade Elliott left. Player who'd become a Burnley legend and potentially left at the right time really before you know his career started tailing off. I don't think there was really much else to discuss from the, the Bournemouth game, Natalie. It just felt like a, an end-of-season celebration. I, I don't think the, the football was bad, but at the same time, it, it wasn't obviously the, the type of football you get in the, the middle of the season when there's a lot to play for. Do you think it was quite interesting to, to see a game between you know two sides at the end of the season where they've now got the, the two longest tenured managers in the league that Wenger's left? And to think they both came from the same sort of managerial transaction. Quite interesting that those are the two who are left, Natalie. Yeah, and it's maybe perhaps not the managers that you would have expected to last the longest. And I don't mean that in any way that they don't deserve to, but you would expect that teams like Bournemouth and Burnley would perhaps spend a few seasons going up and down, trying to establish themselves as a Premier League club. And what generally tends to follow with that, isn't it? The managers get sacked and new ones come in as, as relegation is confirmed and um, promotions are sought. I don't think if Bournemouth got relegated, they'd sack him. I think they would very much take the same approach that, that Burnley have taken with Deitch and understand the advantages of long-term stability when it comes to your management team. 
but you just look at those two clubs, the two clubs that shouldn't be competing in the top half of the Premier League or, or finishing in a European spot or, or you know, trying to, to push those those clubs who are their competitors further into the danger zone. But they do, they, you know, they have done. And, and Eddie Howe's done it now for, what, four seasons? Deitch is now on his fourth season next year. I think they were a year behind the two years. But either way, you know, it's looking like they're, you know, they're, just bringing such stability to a club, which is, is showing results. So, I, you know, it, it was interesting from that perspective, but all it's all it shows to me is it's two managers who know their clubs inside out and who are confident and who are the bosses, basically. And I don't think anybody can take away what either of them achieved on the pitch, but it certainly goes to show that if you maintain some consistency and you believe in your management team and you allow them the time to develop, the results will pay off. I was quite interested this week, actually, to listen to a pre-match interview with Eddie Howe. And he was actually quite humble in what he was saying because I guess the subtext of the interview was very much along the lines of, oh, do you think Bournemouth can <laughs> can can uh, replicate what Burnley have done? And I'm sure in his mind he must be thinking, hang on a minute, I think we were here a little bit longer. And we actually managed to stay up the first time rather than go up and down. But he was quite interested in, he was quite humble in what he said, that he actually really admired what we'd done off the pitch. And he said that's probably where Bournemouth are miles behind Burnley in terms of the infrastructure. Um, he's saying that they haven't got the training facilities, they haven't got the, the you know the ground support, they haven't got the youth team coming through. And he looks at what Burnley is like now compared to what it was like when he was manager here. And he just he wants that for 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 Dean Cause and he wants that for for the for Bournemouth itself. And I suspect that he was perhaps alluding to the fact that next season they are going to commit some time and expense on those you know logistical developments and those behind the scenes improvements so we might see a maybe a stagnant season from Eddie Howe I mean if you look at that team he's got now without making any major changes he's got a, a team that survived is it four I'm sure it's four seasons in the Premier League back to back so he shouldn't be in any danger of relegation albeit he's had a couple of tricky starts so he could essentially not spend an awful lot of money on players and instead he can maybe you know like I say make some improvements off the pitch with a view to really going for it and pushing on in the season after so I'm interested to see where Eddie Howe goes with with Bournemouth next season. Yeah it will be interesting to see um, how he does obviously it's Good to see another young British manager doing well in the Premier League and, and you know, keeping his job. And I think Bournemouth in some ways are a similar club to us, uh, you know, in the mentality towards managers. And obviously I think we've seen that um, Howe does by far his best work at Bournemouth. So hopefully for him, he gets to stay there for quite a long time. The only other thing actually I would say, James, before you move on from the Bournemouth game, it's been bugging me ever since. We went to full season, we had a penalty. That's just come into my head now when we were looking about... James and I listeners were talking before, obviously preparing for this podcast, and we were sat there going, really isn't very much to talk about this Bournemouth game. How are we going to film 45-minute podcast? But actually, I did forget at the time, and I remembered because towards the end of the game, there were a couple of, let's say they were optimistic shouts, but we did. We went a whole season without a penalty, and that's ridiculous, James. That is absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, no, it is um, almost beyond belief, but... We've been very, very unlucky. There's been a lot, I think, uh, of opportunities for us to get a penalty and some that you know a lot of other clubs would get, I think. But we've managed to, to go the whole season without getting one. But I think, in a way, actually, that makes what we've managed to do even better because we've not had any penalties that, yes, obviously you can miss penalties, but they tend to be guaranteed goals almost. And uh, we've managed to do what we've done without getting any penalties, which is, I think, in a way, impressive as well. See, um, James, you always manage to put a positive spin on these things. I, I'm still seething about it. I just think it's ridiculous. Although I, I do note, I didn't realise until about halfway through the game that the key, the referee that was um, appointed over the Burnley Bournemouth game was the absolute idiot who didn't give Jeff Hendrick that penalty away at Huddersfield. So I was like, yeah, we're not getting a penalty. We're not getting a penalty today. <laughs> but uh, honestly, it's ridiculous. I'm just, I'm still annoyed, listeners, and I'm going to do this rant because I've done it about four podcasts now. But given the penalties we've conceded this season, oh, it's so annoying that we don't get one. I'm, I'm hoping that straight away. Let's let's do what we did last season. We got the away hoodoo off our backs straight away against Chelsea. First game of the season in 2018-2019 season, penalty in the first five minutes. Chris Wood straight down the middle and then we'll be fine. 
well, we'll, we'll see. We'll see what happens. But that's uh, an official prediction there from Natalie Bromley. So go to your local bookmakers, put that on now. As much money as you can, it's guaranteed to happen. Moving on then from the uh, Bournemouth game, I mean, there's this one other, actually one other key point obviously to bring up. We brought on our second youngest ever player in the Premier League in Dwight McNeil for a debut performance later on. I don't think we really got to see enough of him, did we Natalie, to, to make any comments on, on how good he is. But it's good to see a rare youngster getting a little bit of action for Burnley in the Premier League under Dash, don't you think? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think Burnley um, came bottom of the, the league in terms of Premier League stats this season. I saw a report after the games at the weekend where Burnley were the lowest ranked team in terms of giving minutes to their youth team players. We essentially, I think, only gave gave our lad 10 minutes. I, mean, that was, I can't think of anybody else who came on at any point this season. So, but... It's difficult, really, because we know that Deitch is really working on that youth development side at the moment. He's getting the, the lads training alongside the first team. They mix together. They're giving them invaluable experience and they're making them feel part of the, of the team. I wonder whether our lack of visibility of youth team players on the bench or in, say, cup teams and, and, and cup competitions is maybe as a result of it just coming a little bit too soon after the, the new Barnfield centre was finished. You know, he, he is, he's only just started in the last sort of 12 months or so, this much improved youth system. So it might just be that he doesn't feel that the players he's got and identified as being the future of the club haven't yet come to fruition. So maybe next season or the season after, we'll start to see the benefit of that. But it certainly was nice, especially especially when you think about the history of, of Burnley and, you know, the, the amount of times we saw a, a youth team player come through and, and be sold for big profit. It's how we earned our way to, to stay in business, I guess, in the historical times. With all of the sort of the strong rumours that Jay's on his way back, it was very nice to see the next Jay Rodriguez because I think he's probably the last one, isn't he, that, that came through the youth team and fought his way into the first team. So, yeah, it was nice to see. Nice to see. I really wanted – I wish just wish we had longer, actually. I didn't see a massive amount of point bringing him on for a token two minutes in, in extra time, given that the, the game was going nowhere and we were going to lose anyway. And then why not bring him on for, for 10 minutes and just give him a chance to, to knock the ball about a little bit, to be honest. He literally, I think, counted maybe three touches. So I'm not entirely sure what that's going to do for him in terms of giving him big match experience. But at least he got on the pitch, so I'm quite happy with that. And I'd, uh, yeah, I'd like to see more of it next season. Yeah, it's quite, I think, quite nice for him, isn't it? Just to, to get a little bit of game time under the belt, even if it's not that much. We'll move on from the Bournemouth game itself then and uh, just have a quick recap of the, the season as a whole. I think, obviously, we came into it and trying to cast my, my mind back. I think the, the feeling at the time was quite negative coming up to the first game. I mean, just sold Andre Gray and obviously sold Michael Keane in the summer. People were saying, oh, we sold our best players and we've not replaced them. But obviously the first game of the season against Chelsea, the reigning champions, and we showed that we could bring a fight to anyone. And it was a real contrast with our normal away form. And we pushed on from there, really. When you look back, Natalie, you know, what was the best period of the season for you? Oh, the best period. I think it's hard not to look past that period around Christmas time when we beat Stoke at home to go fourth in the Premier League. I think that was that to me is when I felt that this wasn't a fluke and that this team was doing something pretty special this season. And actually, at that point, I was absolutely convinced we were staying up. I thought it would be bad. Well, actually, I think so. I saw it might have been Andrew Greaves actually on Twitter this week said that. 34 points would have been enough this season to see you survive, which kind of meant that Burnley secured Premier League survival on December the 30th against Huddersfield. So obviously by the time, a few weeks before that, when we were beating Stoke at home, I think it was about the 18th of December, wasn't it? We we were safe pretty much. And, and I genuinely felt a real air of positivity about the club, that it wasn't a fluke. And like I say, we were building something special. But then on the, the flip side of that, it's also very hard to look past... I know it sounds ridiculous, but the the spell of 11 games that we had without a win, and I'm going to sound massively like Sean Dyche when I say this, but to see those players not lose the cool and still go out week after week and play positively and try and play their way out of this this lull spell. I don't think there were, there were that many really terrible performances in that spell. And then to just carry on as business as usual and keep within that top seven spot which ultimately got them a European place showed a massive character so 
uh, oh, oh, and then again, also, how do you look past the point where Popey and, and, and Tarky got called up for England? God, there's been so many points this season. It's been, it's really, really difficult. Um, I'm going to stick with the Stoke bit just because I think that was, there was such a high at the ground at the time and we were all doing lots of, of blogging and media stuff and everybody wanted to speak to us and everybody was talking about Burnley being fourth in the Premier League and, and being in Champions League spot. So I'm going to stick with that, I think. Yeah, I think, yeah, you know, for me, the the period just before Christmas where we went fourth was probably the best. It, it changed, I think, a lot of people's expectations a little bit. And, you know, you then look at the period over Christmas where we didn't really get many many points on the board, but we played some big teams and people were still coming away disappointed from that period, which I think was a, a bit of a sign of how far we'd already come in just half the season. So that was a very interesting time, I think, as a, a Burnley fan. And it's going to be interesting to see if we can, you know, push on from what we've done this season and do it again next year and, actually what expectations will be like coming to the beginning of the season. I think obviously what we do in the summer will have a big effect on on how expectant fans are, but we'll have to see. Moving on, we're just going to go through some stuff that Natalie put up on Twitter for, for you, the listeners, to give us your thoughts. We'll start with player of the season. Obviously, we talked about this a little bit last week. I said mine personally would be, be Jack Cork. I think you went for... Nick Pope, did you not, Natalie? Barnes, I think I went for in the end. Barnes. I think so. Barnes. Yeah, I think. Uh, well, that feeds nicely into to, to the actual question. So we asked you on Twitter, who is your player of the season? 536 of you cast a vote. And it came back 65% saying Nick Pope, 21% saying Ashley Barnes, and 14% saying uh, someone else. So Nick Pope, the resounding winner there. And what a season he has had. Because I think one of the key things that happened this season was the injury to Tom Heaton, Natalie. And when you looked at it at the time, you thought, what are we going to do about Tom? He'd been so key the season before in making sure we stayed up. He'd started this season strongly as well. And obviously a dislocated shoulder for a goalkeeper is a pretty major injury. It's um, a lot more significant for a goalkeeper than it is for an outfield player, obviously just due to the amount of diving around they do. And Nick Pope came on, and I think he, you know, he was solid in his first uh, first appearance there, coming on as a sub. But people were still thinking, oh well, you know, we need Tom to come back soon, otherwise we're going to start to struggle. But start after start, he, his performance has got stronger and stronger. I think for you, would you say that's the, the maybe the biggest surprise of the season, the emergence of Nick Pope as uh, a, a shot stopper of a similar quality as, as to Tom Heaton? Definitely. I, I think, you know, you, I, I think I'd forgotten how early in the season we lost Tom Heaton. It was only when I looked at the the summary of the season at the, the Player of the Year Awards and I realised it was only about three games in. And I remember at the time, you know, we were sat there looking at, at a defence that didn't have Tom Heaton in it or Michael Keane. We'd lost Andre as well and, and Chris Wood had hundred. I think he'd just signed, but I don't think he, he'd found his feet yet. And I was genuinely worried and I, I really worried where we were going this season. I shared your slight pessimism at the beginning of the season, James, that you talked about earlier saying, you know, I wondered how Burnley would, would survive this season where we'd have second season syndrome. And Pope was great. He made that, if you remember, he made that really early save in that Palace game. And I think that really, I think he needed that pretty quickly because it just set the tone. He was like, okay, I can do this. And it, as it turned out, he ended up being our player of the season. And, and, and it's difficult because when you pick a player as a, as a player of the season, that does suggest that your team has been battered, doesn't it? And that you've had to to put loads and loads of shots against you. Now, I would suggest that this season has been very different to last season. I think last season, Tom Heaton had a very tough season and he was one of our players of the season last year just because she had to stop so many shots and we, we were getting a lot of shots against us. And it didn't feel that way this season, did it? It felt like the four-man defence in front of him managed to nullify a lot of the attacks as well. So between the five of them, they were incredible in, in not conceding a lot of goals and they really performed very well. Moving sort of away from the club itself, I've, we've seen on Twitter today that it's been leaked that apparently Joe Hart hasn't made the England squad. He isn't going to Russia and reports are suggesting from all over the media that Nick Pope's got the nod. Now that's phenomenal, James, for him to go from being on the bench at the beginning of this season and being Tom Heaton's deputy to playing in the World Cup 12 months later is a remarkable story in any club's books. It really is. Yeah, no, I think it you know, it really is the, the story of the season for us, isn't it? Nick Pope's emergence. 
to be a, a top class goalkeeper. And when you look at his uh, career trajectory, and it's the same obviously for Johan Berg Gudmundsson coming from uh, Charlton and the season they had in their last season there to what they're now doing at Burnley, he's a hell of a journey. And as, as you're saying there, obviously not announced yet, but potentially he's on the plane to, to Russia with England, which I'm not sure he'll get to play much, but even just being there is going to be a fantastic experience for him. But at the same time, you have to feel quite sorry for Tom Heaton because surely if he um, doesn't get injured and he, he plays the way we all know he can, he could have been England's first choice coming into this World Cup, don't you think? Yeah, I really do. It's really frustrating for Tom because, you know, at the time he got injured, well, at the end of last season, he was always, you know, he was consistently picked in the in the World Cup squads and the Euro squads. So there's just no reason why he wouldn't have gone to England. He probably would have been first or second choice. His, his, his injuries kind of killed that World Cup dream for him and absolutely gutted for him. But what, you know, what can we do? I think Dyche has got a massive decision next season with what he does with these keepers because you've now got two England internationals and you can't keep one of them on the bench you know we we can't afford that luxury at at Burnley and and it's not fair on the players to be able to sit there I I don't know what he's going to do I suspect that he'll make I suspect both of them will start the season and towards the Christmas time whoever's not getting a game will probably end up leaving us at the summer even if even if it is just for their England ambitions or just be able to play regularly because at the moment you can't expect players of either Heaton or Pope's calibre and skill set to just sit on a bench for a full season it's not fair just going back to to, to England's and, and Nick Pope James again this is all this hasn't been announced yet so it could all be media fodder but apparently Pope is getting one of the two friendlies that are coming up for England before the World Cup he has been given a full 90 minutes in one of those games because Southgate needs to get him some a cap and some experience of being out there and playing with these players just in case he's called upon in Russia which may suggest to me that Pope might have managed to force himself into number two position. I'm not sure, but we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, no, it's going to be interesting to see what happens on, on the goalkeeper side of things. I, you know, There's no doubt in my mind, you can't keep both of them happy. If you were to say to me now, though, a big club comes in and says, we're interested in one of Tom or, or, or Nick, who's, who's available, to me at least, I'd say, obviously it's got to be for the right price, but Nick, Nick Pope would be the one that I'd be more comfortable seeing leave. My biggest concern is if you sold Tom Heaton, even though he is the older of the two and obviously he'd probably get more years out of Nick Pope. If Pope continues to progress and you know continues playing at the level he does and if his distribution maybe improves as well, teams are going to be looking at him. So you could end up selling Tom Heaton uh, and then a year down the line, Nick Pope gets taken from us as well and we've We've got no goalkeeper, and you you know you're back trying to find a quality goalkeeper. And quality goalkeepers these days are, I think, quite hard to find. That the art of goalkeeping is not what it was, and I think we've got two that are exceptionally good uh, shot stoppers. And I think we need to try and keep hold of both of them. Um, so the second question that that Natalie put to you on Twitter was, "What was your goal of the season?" And again, I think we talked about this last week, Natalie. I said it was definitely Stephen Defoe for me uh, against Man United. And it turns out, out of the 455 of you who voted on this one, 59% agree. And uh, you picked Defoe versus United as your goal of the season, followed by a, a tie on 19% for Hendrick versus Everton and Ashley's overhead kick, 3% saying uh, another goal. Um, I think those were the three clear best goals of the season, Natalie. But Defoe's against United, I think, carries that extra bit of something because it was against De Gea uh, and I've seen some stats in some of the papers this week uh, where I'm, I'm not quite sure that the methods involved but someone's reviewed every single shot faced by uh, goalkeepers in the Premier League this season and De Gea comes out miles ahead of the next goalkeeper uh, at being the best shot stopper in the league and I believe he was only beaten from outside his box three times this season, which I think just emphasises how, how impressive Defoe's goal was. Yeah, I think they're the reasons why I went for that one as well. I loved the Everton goal of, of Jeff Hendricks just because of all of the, the passes that, that in the build-up to it. But to be able to, to beat a United defence against one of the best keepers in the world at Old Trafford with not even a fluky free kick, just a free kick of that absolute quality is very, very difficult to ignore. So I, I just think it's class and I think he thoroughly deserves that accolade. Following on from that, there was uh, three more questions that, that you asked Natalie. So number three, 
what was your favourite game? Number four, what was your favourite moment? And five, what are your hopes for next season? So we'll go through some of the responses we got. I put all those together because all the responses tended to cover all three, so I, I don't want to be chopping and changing. Dave Roberts came back on Twitter and he said, lots to choose from, but probably the draw at Turf Moor versus Man City for his favourite game. Keeping hold of the manager is his favourite moment. Not sure you can really class that one as a, a moment, Dave, and... It's a very, very long moment anyway, isn't it? <laughs> the whole season. Uh, and for his hopes next season, to see the team give 100% to try and finish as best of the rest in the Premier League and hopefully a cup run. I think the cup run thing is actually an interesting point there because that's maybe the one thing that we've not done yet under Daesh. Obviously, we saw that the first time we got promoted to the Premier League under uh, Owen Coyle, I'll say his name uh, quietly these days. We had that, obviously, magic run in the Carling Cup, but we've not really come close to doing that since. Obviously, even getting beat by Lincoln in the uh, FA Cup last season. Do you think that's like the, the one thing that's maybe missing from, from what Burnley have been doing, Natalie? Well, yeah, I, I guess I guess if we're going to be super critical, then, yeah, you'd like to see more silverware, but I don't I don't really see it as an issue, just purely because you can't do everything at once, and Deitch tells us on a regular basis that you have to develop these things slowly and you have to progress at an appropriate rate. And he he's had every single season he's concentrated on doing something else and, and you can't have a season where you, you know, stay in the Premier League and you win, you have a really deep cup run and you develop your, your kids and you bring in X amount of players. You just can't do it. So I, I just don't feel like you can, you can maybe criticise in any way or, or just, I guess, wish we'd have done better in cups because of everything else that we've got has, has superseded that. I suspect this season that we would have had a cup run if we hadn't have drawn City away in, in the cup. I think because by the time the FA Cup came around in January, we'd already secured survival and we, we were kind of just doing way better than we thought we ever would do. I fully expect that the team were geared up to give the FA Cup a really good go. And unfortunately, we drew that ridiculous City side away from home at the Etihad, so it kind of brought it to an end. We gave it a, a, a decent go for 60 minutes away from home and then capitulated against a very class side. So you can't really blame them for that. But then you also look on the flip side and you think, well, if we'd have had a very strong cup run, would we have finished seventh in the Premier League? Because again, going back to what I was saying, you can't, you can't improve on everything at all at the same time one season. You've got to do it slowly. So I suspect next year we'll, he will maybe try and do a decent cup run, whether that be in the Europa League or the FA Cup or the League Cup. But I suspect that as long as he's looking like he is going to survive in the Premier League, then a good cup run will very much be on the agenda. That would probably lend itself to say that we're going to go for it in the FA Cup rather than the League or the Europa Cup, just because they come too early in the season. And you can't be throwing so much resource at the League Cup if your Premier League position is very precarious because you just you, you just can't afford to fall out of the Premier League. So I suspect that's probably on the agenda next year. Get through the, the you know, take whatever you can from the Europa League and <laughs> I still can't believe we talked about this in Burnley. Take what you can out of the Europa League and the, the League Cup. Uh, but as long as you are in a comfortable position in the table come Christmas, then really go for it in the FA Cup. Yeah, I think for me that the, the Cup I'd really want to make a big run is the FA Cup. It, it's still the one that has a little bit of magic about it. Maybe not what it, did in the past but there's still I think something nice about the FA Cup and it's one that we I think we've got a reasonable chance of going uh, a good distance in you know we saw how uh, Southampton have done in this year's FA Cup despite having a poor league position so I think it's definitely one that if we can solidify ourselves as mid-table then we can be looking at trying to push on in some of the cups uh, they're saying that the, the league cup off is one that we could potentially win if if results went our way so Maybe that's one we need to put a bit of focus on too. Going back to the responses, Matt Moss, who's our producer and will be editing this week's podcast, he said Chelsea away, uh, his favourite game. Moment being fourth for 24 hours. I think that's a, a good choice there. And, and next year, again, he's hoping for a good cup in Europe runs whilst maintaining top half of the Premier League. Three big ass, I think, there, to be honest. I managed to do all three of them, but hopefully that is uh, what we do. Rick Ford came back. Chelsea away again, his favourite game. Gummonson's equaliser versus City is his favourite moment for next season. Exciting football and Premier League survival. So that's someone who's maybe going back back a little bit to um, a more traditional Burnley approach to Premier League seasons. You know, if you think about how we've done this season, to me, the starting point for next season is still 
Premier League survival. We may have done really well this season, but we've got to remember that we've done it with still one of the smallest budgets in the league now. So do you think you know the starting point really for any season for Burnley just being realistic because of the budget constraints has to be maintaining ourselves in the league before we start even start thinking about sort of top half. Absolutely, 100%. That has to be the, the goal for next season. And I actually, I wouldn't just limit that to a Burnley side who's got one of the smallest budgets. I would suggest if you take the league and take the top six plus Everton out of the equation, every single team below them, all 13 clubs, are in danger of relegation in any one season if they just take their eye off the ball one minute. You know, we nearly saw Southampton fall out of the league this season. Stoke and West Brom went down. I know Swansea have struggled a few seasons, so that maybe was inevitable that they would fall at some point. But we had, you know, going into the last couple of games, but Saints were looking like they were going down. And just goes to show, if you don't invest well and you don't keep progressing and you don't work as hard as you can any side outside of those top seven can find themselves in a relegation battle. And I would include Bournemouth, I would include West Ham, I would include Watford, Bournemouth, all of those sides are in exactly the same position. So take the budget away from it. It doesn't really matter about the budget. We've seen this season that if you get everything right, you can have success on a small budget. But every single team has to have a minimum expectation that they maintain their Premier League position and until that is looking like it's going to be secured you can't really concentrate on anything else it's it's impossible i feel that the premier league is going in a it's it's evolved into a machine for those teams outside the top 7 where it essentially is going to, to go in cycles of 5 years and i fully expect that every single one of the teams in this division will find themselves either flirting with or be relegated at some point in each, say, five-year cycle. As you build your team up, you get your best players at their absolute peak, playing really well and you have success. But as those players get older, and as the squad gets older, and as your newer players that you're recycling with them are just finding their feet, those will be the seasons where you perhaps have to drop down to the championship. And I fully expect that there will be a conveyor belt of teams that just go up and down from the Premier League in five-year cycles. That's That, to me, feels like how the Premier League is going outside of the top seven. So I have, and this is not being defeatist and it's not being negative, I absolutely 100% believe that the number one aim for next season is Premier League survival and everything else has to be put on the back burner, including the Europa League. Yes, enjoy it. Yes, give the players um, a chance to go for it as a reward for their efforts this season, but that cannot be at at the expense of maintaining your Premier League position. Yeah, I think that's uh, some some very good points there, Natalie. We'll continue with the responses. So Stuart Donny Parker on Twitter came back. He said Chelsea away, incredible first half, uh, coming off the turf after beating Stoke to go fourth in the league. Uh, and just hope for next season we improve on this one. That's a tall ask. Ho- hopefully we can do that for you, Stuart. But it could could be a difficult one. I think I'd settle for the same again. And even that, I think, is uh, going to be a tough ask. Connor Sticks came back. He said, Chelsea away, going four first of Stoke. And he'll take staying up, but would love to make the Europa knockouts. Natalie, do you think this, you know, when you look at the Europa League, the, obviously the, the qualifiers are seeded, so you'd expect us to probably get a, a beatable team. But it's still obviously a big ask for us to get to the knockout stages. Do you fancy us to, to make it? And what would you say is your starting position of what you'd like us to achieve in Europe? I'd like I'd like us to win to get through the second qualifying round just because I just think that, again, you know, you don't want to fall at the first hurdle, especially given that Burnley will be seeded and you should get a side that you have an advantage over in terms of, of ability. So I'd like to see us win that first round. I'd love us to get into the group stages. I'd love us to... But again, I just reiterate what I said moments ago, as long as that's not at the expense of the league and as long as that doesn't put any of the players in danger um, of injury or not being fully prepared for us full season or it puts unnecessary pressure on the squad, if we can achieve all of that and we can get to the group stages, that would be amazing. Of course it would because, well, I don't need to explain why. It would just be a fantastic achievement. But if we fall, you know, if we don't get there, but we go out and we've given our players a taste of European football, which in turn gives them a hunger to want to do it again and, and really drives the rest of the season, then that's, I think, enough. And I think that is all we can ask for. Yeah, no, I think that's a fair starting point to have. It's obviously going to be difficult for us to do 
a lot in Europe, but it would be nice to to at least you know win a game in Europe and do something other than just uh, make up the numbers. Andrew Townsend, he responded, he said all of it. So declined to answer the questions, but uh, wanted to uh, just say the whole season's been great, I guess. Steve Fenwick said, Manu away was his favourite game, but a special mention for winning the League Cup versus Blackburn, one we've maybe forgotten about uh, amongst all the excitement of the season, but obviously continued our newfound dominance over our nearest neighbours. And, you know, for, for those of us who remember not winning a game against Blackburn until our mid-twenties, it's nice to know we're still at the top side in East Lancashire. He then said the Ashley Barnes goal that took us to fourth. Uh, so there's a pattern emerging there. We've got people remembering the moment we went fourth is a, a great one. Uh, and next is he'd like a mid-table finish and knockout stages of Europa. So I, f- I think that's a, you know, not a bad expectation to go with depending on what your class is mid-table. But I think that's probably likely where we, we're going to find ourselves and anything above along the lines of this season would be a bonus. Richard Hume said, Chelsea away, because his wife's a Chelsea fan. My brother's a Chelsea fan, so I can understand how, how satisfying it is to get a rare win against uh, one of the big sides in the Premier League and, and wind a relative up. Uh, he said, a sad, mo- sad moment, but the send-off morning in our field got, because it was fully deserved. Uh, and next season, he hopes to avoid relegation and get a decent run in the Europa League. Patrick Ford, he came back, he said Chelsea away. Again, one of very popular on there. His favourite moment being the 4 free kick at Old Trafford. And he'd like to see some pace and attack next season and survive in the Premier League. So that's a bit more specific. But I think pace is still something we do miss on our side, uh, Natalie. That's all we say a little bit to summer side. Do you think that Darcy's going to be looking to make us a faster team in the summer? Um, I, I expect so. Um, I think he, we, we've heard it a couple of times in, in post-match interviews this season, haven't we, where Darcy's maybe alluded to the fact that he, he was looking for a little bit more from, from his from his forward attack. I don't expect that he'll change much. I don't expect that he'll change the identity of the team. I think he will still concentrate on that very strong defensive unit with central midfield being very, very strong. But, you know, if, if you look at the, the pace in the, in the side, we've now got, we've got Brady coming back at the start. It's, it's, apparently Brady is back already, but with everything sort of sewn up a couple of games ago, they just decided just to, to bring him in for pre-season training and to give him a little bit longer to recover. So we've got Brady, Goodmanson and Lennon. So we have already got pace in that side. We've got Defoe to come back as well, who's, who's, who's quick in that central position as well. If we bring Rodriguez in as well, I think Chris Wood's got quite a decent bit of pace to him. Ashley's got quicker this year. And we, if we bring Jay in as well, the team does feel naturally quicker than it has done for a good few years. I don't know whether he will bring in another winger specifically just because he's got a selection headache enough as it is. Who's he going who's going to get dropped when Brady's back? I, that's a, that's a terrible headache for, for him. A very good one to have, don't get me wrong. But we've already got three very very good players who can play on either wing, so who knows. I'd like to see something pacier up front. Like I say, I actually I think Chris Wood's a little bit underrated in terms of, of pace. When he can run onto a ball, he's very, very fast because he's quite a big striker. Um, he's a lot faster than than Sammy and, um, and Ashley Barnes. But I would like to see, whether it is Rodriguez or it is another striker, I would like to see a bit more pace in one of the striker positions. But other than that, how where would you put somebody faster in? I'm not sure. Hmm, I'm not sure there is anywhere else that I would put somebody faster, to be honest. I can think of a, a few places. Um, <laughs> Did you hear my brain probably, thinking then as I was thinking that three? I was like, my brain doesn't know. <laughs> I'll let you handle that one, James. I, I think it'd be nice to have a, a little bit more pace up front. Probably, I think one of the positions we'd be looking at is a, a new number 10. Obviously, Jeff Hendricks not really taken to that role too well. So maybe a little bit of pace there. So when you can, uh, you know, beat a few men, you know, a couple of players and, and push on into the box. So pace would be nice. For, for that and um, I think you're right we're probably not going to be signing another winger in the summer I think we, we're well covered there but being, it'll be interesting to see what, what Dash does because we, we've a couple of players down already uh, from what we had this season so there'll definitely be people getting brought in we'll just take two more of the, the responses we got to that before we uh, we move on because there's only a couple of things left to talk in the, the last podcast of the season Joe Pattinson he said it's got to be West Ham away great performance which caused carnage uh, so 
fair point. It was one of our more emphatic performances of the season. He picked his moment as Stoke at home when Barnsley scored and he's hopes for next season. Hopefully a couple of decent away trips and Premier League safety yet again. Uh, and lastly, Ian Poole, he said, the force free kick at Old Trafford was his, his favourite goal. Gummonson's equalised against City was his favourite moment. And also he's guarded Tory one from Defabet to meet and greet the, the squad, which I think is quite nice. So it's good to know that the club sponsors have put some decent competitions on with uh, some good prizes for the fans. Moving on then from sort of a review of the season, incoming players, Natalie, is there any position you're looking at? For me, I'll start, I'll say we, we need another centre-half for definite. I think we need another right-back because for, for me, Phil Barsley uh, was a definite downgrade on uh, Lawton when he was injured. So if anything's happened to Lawton again, I'd, I'd want someone a little bit better to, to come in. And obviously someone who can push Lawton to get even better because he's had a great season. And maybe if there was less players who'd had a great season, he could have been in with a shout for player of the season. Central midfield, I think we're going to need another body and potentially, you know, that number 10 role or a striker, uh, one of the two. Natalie, what's your wish list look like? Very similar. Centre-half, I think, is a must. I think Kevin Long has, has improved loads this season, but he's still not quite at the same level as Tarkey and Ben Meor. And I feel, I just feel like we just need cover in that area. I think left-back, we're fine. I agree with you. I'd like to see somebody come in at right-back as well, again, to push Lawton, I think, because he, he, I love Matt Lawton and I want him to stay. And, and somebody up front, somebody with pace, other than that, I guess we need to think about cover for central midfield, don't we? Now Marnie's gone, so maybe a central midfielder. But again, you've got to be very, very careful because you just don't want to bring players in who then end up staying on the bench all season. And I, it's quite difficult because I think Defoe's obviously got to come back. And I thought Westwood's had an absolutely fantastic season. But it just, central midfield, it seems to be a, an Achilles heel for us at Burnley. And I'm just worried if one of those boys gets injured. We we are a bit thin uh, down the ranks if we do have a lot of cup games or we need cover. So I think that's probably it for me. I think I'll probably share your shopping list. Yeah, I think those are key ones. Well, I think that sort of rounds out what we wanted to cover for a season review. Obviously, another season done for the Known and Ever podcast. I was going to say how many we've done then, but I honestly can't remember. I just know it's a lot. Obviously, a lot of changes this year. Jamie Smith left us at the end of last year. Kevin Robinson's left us during this year. Adam's left us during this year. And I'm just going to put in here a little bit of a, a message from Adam. He wanted to say a few words uh, on the podcast. So this is this is Adam just talking about him, him leaving the podcast. Hi, everyone. Uh, Adam here. I just wanted to drop a word into this podcast because I'm leaving after almost eight years, uh, I was I was 15 when the idea um, for No Name Never first came about, and I used to help run the site uh, during my breaks at school, editing articles, helping the site run properly. I'm not sure how many of you will know this, um, but I but what you know as the podcast was first started uh, by a group of about six of us, six or seven of us, um, who met on Twitter. And it was meant to be a home for our writing about Burnley. We all had individual blogs and we figured it made sense to bring everything together in one, into one place. Uh, now, eight years later, a lot has changed. I am the only original member of the founding Known and Never team left, though James did join shortly after we got going. And you'll have noticed we're not a blog anymore. We're a podcast. Um, that's a big difference. During my time at Known and Never, loads has happened. I have loads of great memories and I'm sure you don't mind me running through a couple of them i'll never forget the live blogs we used to run on match days come to think of it thanks to the club for effectively letting us transcribe the clarets player commentary so a bunch of us humans on the internet could make bad jokes about cheese while reading what what was going on in the game as it happened some other great memories include helping edit the interview we did with brendan flood we met uh, Lee Hughes, former Chief of Execu Executive, and David Baldwin, current Chief Executive, at the turf, interviewed him, and I chatted to Clark Carlisle over Skype, just as you do. I remember that time that James got chased by a dog live on the podcast, back when we used to broadcast live. I remember when the site got its first sponsor, that was a great day. The reaction to the Kickstarter we ran, which we were sure would flop, 
quite spectacularly. The whispers we kept hearing from the club about players who were secretly reading our articles and, and secretly cared what we were saying. And we still sometimes hear that people, important people at the club, are listening to the podcast. The sort of absurd, unwavering support that we've had from everyone that's read Nonely Never back when it was a blog and all the listeners to the podcast... And last but not least, I'll have the memory of making so many friends and gaining a whole lifetime of experience while doing No No Never. For now, that's me. Um, thanks to Kevin, James, Jamie, Natalie, Daniel, David, Sam, Jane, everyone who ever contributed to or appeared on No No Never. And most importantly, everyone who read No No Never or has listened to the podcast. I'll just leave you saying that I'm sure Natalie will do an immense job uh, in the future. And I look forward to listening to the podcast um, and seeing what Natalie gets up to as we go forward. Cheers, everyone. Uh, It's been a great eight years. All the best. I'll see you around. And lastly, this is my last episode of the podcast as well. I've done well over 150 episodes now. I've did the first one um, and I've done the majority ever since. But unfortunately, it's just become not as fun as it used to be. It's quite a drain on on my time. And I've got a lot of other things I want to concentrate on. So the podcast has unfortunately been the thing that's had to to make way to my other interests. I'm sure it won't be the last time I'm on. I've told Natalie that if she wants me on as a guest occasionally, that's okay. I'm I'm happy to come on and and guest every now and then. But just the weekly commitments become too much for me now. You'll still be able to find me a lot on Twitter, uh, at James Bird. Obviously, talking about Burnley during the games. And I'm sure I'll be sharing some of my worthless opinions on there. Thanks, as always, goes to Matt Moss. He's going to be editing tonight's podcast. And thanks, most importantly, to all of you for listening to the podcast, keeping it going. If we didn't have listeners, I think we'd probably not do it. But maybe we would. Maybe we enjoy it that much. We'd uh, we'd, we'd keep doing podcasts, uh, even if no one was listening. But thanks a lot for, for listening. Thanks for all your feedback during the season. Um, it is really good to get emails and tweets from you, uh, letting us know what you liked, what you didn't like, uh, what you'd like to see us do differently. It's all welcomed feedback. And if you'd like to send some feedback on the season, this podcast, what you'd like to see next season or anything of that sort, the email address is podcast at net. And lastly, thanks to Natalie for joining me tonight. This has been the None Never podcast. I've been James Bird. Goodbye. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. Talk sport. Powered by fans.